I'll now be reading from Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 to 34. Just give you a moment to arrive there. So that's Matthew 8, verses 23 to 34. Hear the word of the Lord. And when he got into the boat, that's Jesus, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even winds and sea obey him? And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them, and the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. Uh, If you have a Bible with you, uh, please keep it open at Matthew chapter 8, or reopen it, beginning at verse 23. The last couple of weeks have not been easy weeks if you've been following the news at all. If they've taught us anything, they've taught us that there are some things in this world in the face of which we're simply helpless. There are forces of nature that we can do nothing about. The earthquakes that have rocked Turkey and Syria. I hope you've experienced what I experienced, was watching it on TV, seeing those buildings all just pancaked and collapsed, thinking, I can do nothing. I can't stop that. When the world is struck with those sort of seismic shocks, what can we do? The twisted steel and concrete, the buildings that are just now rubble on the ground, I'm imagining the bodies crushed underneath, hoping against hope that some are still alive but feeling so helpless. I mean, if I was there in Turkey, I couldn't have held up one wall. It would have still collapsed. And if there are bodies still under there, what could I do? Claw away with bare hands in freezing weather, praying that they survive somehow? It's not just earthquakes, though, is it? We've been struck with hurricanes, New Zealand flooded, just like many parts of Australia have been in the last 12 to 18 months. In our technological wizardry, we're still totally impotent. We can't face it. It leaves us afraid and trembling. And it's not just the forces of nature. There are other forces in our world 
two weeks ago, I was in northern Kenya talking to pastors and they told me stories of people dominated by evil spirits, their lives being destroyed by spiritual forces that they didn't understand and couldn't do nothing about. I don't understand them. I can't do anything. They're beyond my control. But today we look at two incidents in the life of Jesus, the story of Jesus, where Jesus is confronted with those forces of nature and spiritual forces. And Jesus, unlike me, is not afraid. He's not confronted with them and, and, and retreat. He's not helpless either. But he demonstrates a stunning mastery and authority that is truly remarkable. The backstory, uh, if you know anything of Matthew's gospel or any of them, is that Jesus has burst onto the public space, preaching that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is near. So whoever you are, I don't care, repent, turn back to God. The kingdom of heaven was a sort of shorthand phrase to capture that expectation that God had built up through his word and promises that one day God himself would decisively intervene in human history to save his people from their misery, from the forces of evil. He'd roll up his sleeves and crush their enemies, liberating them from the powers of evil. And the crowds heard it and and they flocked to Jesus. They loved his healing and his teaching. He, He called his disciples together. He instructed them, challenged them to stake all on the reality that this kingdom was real and was coming. And now we have these two incidents Jesus and the storm, Jesus and the evil-possessed men. Jesus and his disciples are in boats crossing the Sea of Galilee. It's not a sea, really, it's just a lake. But this great storm comes. It, it, Matthew actually describes it as seismic, like, like an earthquake, like the hurricanes we see on the news, just wind whistling, waves building. And in the boat are professional fishermen. And they're convinced that this is their last boat journey. They say, Lord, save us. We're going to perish. They know they can't save themselves. Rowing harder is not going to help. Being able to swim won't even help them. Bailing out isn't going to get them very far. They're confronted with one of these forces of nature, like earthquakes and hurricanes and bushfires and tsunamis. They, like we, realise they can't control them. Their lives are threatened. Their lives will be destroyed. Now, they wake Jesus up. It's unclear what they think Jesus can do, but they're they're clearly unhappy that he's asleep in the back of the boat. Uh, I don't know. They think he's going to bail. Well, they think he might be able to do something. And they basically say to Jesus, don't you care, Lord, save We're perishing. This is the end. And Jesus wakes up and the first thing he does is rebuke his disciples. Why are you so cowardly, you little faiths? It's quite strong. When Jesus says you little faiths, he's not accusing them of not having enough faith. Because actually having a little faith in the right thing is perfectly sufficient the faith of a, uh, the size of a mustard seed in, in the right thing is enough. He's, he's accusing them of having a sort of sick faith, a distorted faith, not real faith at all. They wake him up, but they don't even know why they wake him up. 
They can't see beyond the superficial that he's asleep. But what Jesus does next is not in their game plan. Because Jesus rebukes the wind and the waves. He talks to the wind itself and says, shut up. To the waves, calm down. And suddenly it's completely calm. The waves that have been throwing the boat around are no more. The wind that has been howling is stilled. And there's calm. If you're not impressed by that, try it. (laughs) Next time there's a good Fremantle doctor blowing, go, go down to the beach and just tell the wind to stop. Or when one of those winter storms come through, catch the boat across the rotnest and stand up in the boat and tell the wind and the waves to just calm down. My suggestion is you do it, well, very quietly. (laughs) Go somewhere where other people won't hear you. Because you know and I know that we can't do it all. We, We can't pull that off, can we? In fact, it's never crossed my mind to try Because I know already I can't do it. But Jesus speaks to the wind as if he owns it. As if it has ears for his voice. He speaks to the waves as if they will heed, heed his command. And they do. Some people say maybe it's just a fluke. You know, you do get those sort of storms which blow up suddenly and they stop suddenly. Now, I'm no boaty, I'm not a fisherman, but boaty friends of mine tell me it sort of doesn't work like this. Because if you had a wind that's blown up all the waves, if the wind stops, the waves actually get bigger for a little while. Because all that pent-up energy the wind has created. But here, the wind and the waves both stop dead. This is remarkable. This is jaw-dropping. The disciples are left marvelling saying, what sort of man is this that even the winds and sea obey him? That's the right question, isn't it? It's not, who is this man? I wonder what his name is. They know his name. It's what category is he? He's clearly not one of ours. He's not just like us. He's different to us. He's he's in a different category. What sort of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now, even as they asked the question, as Jews who knew something of their Old Testament scriptures, they would have known the answer to that question. Psalm 65 says this, God, our saviour, who stilled the roaring of the seas. It's God, the creator, who can do that sort of thing. In this one short paragraph Matthew reports something that Jesus does that is stunning and extraordinary. He has authority, the sort of authority I've never seen, I've never experienced over the wind and the waves. Authority has actually been in the air in Matthew's gospel. Just earlier in this same chapter, a centurion, a Gentile, comes up to Jesus because a servant has been paralysed in his home. And he says to Jesus, Jesus, I know what authority really is. The authority is when you say to this guy, go and do it, and he does it. And you say, come, and they come. And Jesus, I know you've got real authority 
All you need to do is say the words, even from here, even from a distance, and my servant will be healed. So he knew that when somebody has real authority, they don't have to be on the scene. They don't have to have that magic touch that maybe superstitiously does something. They've just got to say the words, and it does. It happens. And Jesus has just said the words, and it happens. That is stunning. Second story. Jesus is no one-trick pony. Soon after, they get to the shore of the lake, and two men possessed by evil spirits come up to him. They're frightening men. People avoid the part of the country where they live now because they're just uncontrollable, threatening to everybody, possessed by this evil, destructive power that, that controls them. And they see Jesus, and instead of being threatening, they feel threatened by Jesus. Jesus' power, they're afraid of him. They say to him, what have you to do with us, O son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? They know who Jesus is. They have spiritual, supernatural knowledge. He is the son of God. There's the answer to our question. What sort of person is this? He's the son of God. He's God the son. And they know that Jesus is the one who one day will torment them. The time will come when he will judge them and condemn them and destroy them. And the question is not if Jesus will do that, but when will Jesus do that? Is it now Or is it not yet? What are you doing here, Jesus? We thought it was going to be later. And they beg Jesus to cast them into the pigs, a herd of pigs. They know that Jesus is the one who can command them. That if Jesus says go, they have to go. And so they beg him to send them to something a little bit less than final torment. These spirits that controlled and commanded and dominated these two men are suddenly dominated by Jesus. He's a different category to these two men, in fact, to any human. And Jesus commands them, go. And they go into the pigs and the pigs run down into the lake and destroy themselves. Now, I guess for most of us, all sorts of questions are raised by that about Jesus, how could you destroy the livelihoods of the, the, the people who owned the pigs? And killing pigs doesn't, well, wouldn't, a bit of sympathy for the pigs, please, Jesus. But it's not Matthew's concern. If you notice Matthew's concern, verse 33, the herdsmen fled. And going to the city, they told everything, especially about the pigs, no, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. What struck them? what they couldn't get over, what remained vivid in their memory and mind was these demon-possessed men that before were frightening. You'd, You'd avoid them at all costs, but now are different. Jesus has rescued them. He's saved them. And the men themselves have witnessed the destructive power that was all bottled up inside them. It destroyed this huge herd of pigs. And now they're free of it how different their lives will be from now on. Wonderful for the two men. But did you hear the reaction of the people in the region? 
Verse 34, they all came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. Unexpected, isn't it? Despite the obvious good that Jesus brings, they'd prefer life without Jesus. They'd prefer the demons than someone who can command demons. You might think that that's perverse, isn't it? How could they do that? It's, it's baffling. Till you realise that that's actually what many people do today, don't they? They prefer the status quo, the way things are, to having someone around in their lives with that sort of authority. They complain about the evil days they live in and the selfishness of people and the violence and harshness and exploitation and greed. But when they hear about Jesus, his kingdom of righteousness and humility, his kingship calling for their loyalty and obedience, they say, no thanks. Please leave. Just just push off, will you, Jesus? I like life the way it is. To my shame, I was one of those people for many years. Please don't be like me. Now, like so many things that happened in the life of Jesus, these two incidents show us something very important and very clear, I think. Jesus' life was extraordinary, and these things in themselves are extraordinary. Jesus showing his mastery over the forces that rattle us, the forces that frighten us, that leave us completely helpless and impotent, need us Leave us needing to be saved. Some of them are the forces of nature, the storms, the winds and waves, the hurricanes that come. And Jesus says to them, stop. And they stop. The earthquakes, if Jesus had been in in Turkey, I presume at the first rattle, he could have said stop. And the earthquake would have stopped. And the evil spiritual forces that some of us know personally and many of us aren't even sure they're real. But certainly our world contains instances of palpable evil that grips people's lives and destroys them and everybody around them. And the best we can do is lock them up behind bars or with drugs. We we don't have anything else to do. But Jesus says to the evil spirits, go, and they leave. That mastery... That authority is beyond anything I've ever done. It's beyond anything I've ever seen. Many of us like our superhero movies, don't we? (laughs) The fictitious worlds in which superheroes have superpowers. One of the things I've noticed about the, the superheroes is they all have their specialty. There's something they're good at. They have a superpower in a particular area. They can do this, but they can't do that. But Jesus doesn't have just a single superpower. He has authority over all. They eventually kill him, crucify him, bury him. He's dead and gone. Nothing to worry about anymore. And two days later, he's alive again. The grave is empty. Jesus has authority over anything and everything. But the question that's harder to work out is, what's the significance of that for me, for you, as we live in the 21st century? The the sort of easy, maybe you could say the lazy answer to that is, well, whatever storms come up in your life, Jesus will calm them. 
whether that's the storms of unemployment or a, a sickness or children that go a bit wild or anything that might threaten us. Just Jesus will calm the storm. In some ways, I wish it was as simple as that. Life would get a bit cruisy then, wouldn't it? It'd be nice. But I don't think it is as simple as that. It's clear that Jesus didn't stop the earthquake in Turkey and Syria. How do we think more clearly about this? A question I found really helpful to ask is, did Jesus calm every storm on the Sea of Galilee and the Mediterranean and the Pacific Ocean? And the answer very clearly is no. As far as we know, he only calmed storms twice on the Sea of Galilee. Many other storms came and went while Jesus was there. He didn't stop them. And the question that demons asks helps us, I think. Have you come to torment us before the time? There is a time for all this to be put to bed, for all the evil and destruction of our world to be eradicated. But it's not yet. So what is the significance of these events? Well, they tell us that Jesus is the one who can and will eradicate these forces one day. He will. And we know he will because he's shown us that he can. If he can calm one storm, he can calm every storm. If he can demolish one uh, set of evil spirits, he can demolish all. Lots of people think that Christians are just very naive optimists. We have this sort of belief in a better world to come, that one day there'll be a world with no more tears and no more death and no more crying and no more sickness and no more storms and no more earthquakes. And it's all just a figment of our imagination. It's just wishful thinking. And they sort of look down on me and pity us and and they say, well, if that helps you feel a bit better now, I'm glad for you, but please don't tell us that this is real, that it's going to happen. But this tells us that it is going to happen. Because there is somebody who's been to this world and shown us that he can do it and shown us that he will do it. He has the will to do it as he did back then. He's fully capable He's wonderfully willing. They say, save us. And Jesus says, yes, I will, completely and utterly. Now, many other people in the world have a sort of naive optimism that somehow things in this world will get better. As technology improves, as people get more educated, we'll we'll create a world that's much nicer to live in. Friends, I think that's naive. Jesus showed us that he can do it and he will do it. Our hope of a world that's better than this actually has history firmly on our side, not because we can bring it about, but because Jesus will. What Jesus does in these incidents is full of promise of what he will do one day. Which brings us back to the disciples and the demonised men. You see, both found themselves in life situation where they needed to be rescued. They needed to be saved because they couldn't do anything about it. They couldn't save themselves. 
Now, I'm sure the disciples had been caught other times out in the open water by storms and, and they'd survived and they probably had the bruises and the muscles to prove it. But this time they knew they were perishing. And I think if we're realistic, all of us know that the forces of evil in our world are too much. But we know it in our own experience because we try not to be dominated by evil in our own behaviour and we can't stop ourselves. Evil does have a grip on us. We're perpetrators. We do evil. We don't want to lose our temper, but we lose our temper and we damage even those we love the most. And we know that we deserve to be held accountable for those things, ultimately face the judgment like the evil spirits knew that they would, a judgment that will be negative. The time will come. But we also know we're victims of evil, things that people do to us and the forces of nature that we have no power over, the forces of of disease and death that will creep up on us or hit us like a sledgehammer. And we'll say with the disciples, we're perishing and we can't do anything. We're helpless, we're hopeless, we're impotent. I don't care how clever you are, how rich you are, how inventive you are, how technologically savvy you are. Ultimately, we're all impotent and helpless in the face of evil. And can I say, that's us guys too, isn't it? I know we say, oh, women are like that, they need help, but we do. If you haven't faced it yet, one day you will face something that just leaves you shaking in your boots. And your own death is the pinnacle, your own condemnation. And no one else can save you. Muhammad can't save you. The Buddha can't save you. Albanese can't save you. The best surgeon in the world can't save you. Now, there's only one person in all of history who's shown that they can save us. Your wealth can't save you. Your friends can't save you. Only Jesus has the authority to say to the wind and the waves, stop, and they stop. To say to evil, go, and it goes. And this Jesus, with all this authority, died for us. He laid down his life to save us from the condemnation that we can't save ourselves from. So will you call out to Jesus, save me, I'm perishing. Will you be honest enough to face your helplessness and brave enough to say, Jesus, save me? Or will you refuse and stubbornly, perversely ask Jesus to just leave you alone? Please don't do that. Jesus is your only hope. No one else in all history has done these sort of things. Please don't tell him to go away. Turn now while there's time, because the time has not yet come. Amen.